Hello everybody, today we have um, two guests, one of them is the guest guest and the other one is the guest co-host and um, so uh, basically we have one of the winners from the recent uh, Psychedelx um, kind of a student talk competition and um, so uh, her name is Catherine and she uh, is... Um, uh, she goes to uh, Stanford, and she did a study about uh, the intersection and differences of uh, of uh, psychotic and spiritual experiences. And so that is basically what we're going to talk about today. And I also have a co-host who was a previous guest, uh, Haley Duran, and uh, we did a talk about, I think we talked about delusions and stuff like that. I don't really fully remember at this moment, but we talked about a lot of stuff, I think, but okay, so... Hi, and welcome, this is Quirky Science, where we discuss crazy ideas. Welcome to the podcast, I am your host, Gage Clark. I guess we'll start with, I guess, Catherine, right? Uh, let's do it that way. Um, Catherine, could you tell me about yourself a little bit? Sure. So I am a fifth-year medical student at Stanford School of Medicine in the Bay Area in California. And um, throughout medical school, I have been kind of running this research project on the side about psychosis and spiritual experiences. And Part of why I got into this research was that before I went to medical school, I came from a non-science background, and um, in particular, I, my bachelor's degree, I, I double majored in music and German, and then I did a master's in Middle East studies, so very interested in, in foreign languages and culture generally, and when I decided I wanted to go to medical school and become a psychiatrist, I was always interested in questions of how does kind of the psychiatric lens on life both um, collide and clash with other ways to interpret the powerful and unusual experiences that we have as human beings. And so that's kind of the short story of where I'm coming from and how I got interested in this research. Yeah, thank you. And um, also, how about uh, you can say hello to Haley. All right. So I, I'm very grateful that the whole psychedelics project um, was a thing and involved so many different people from all across the globe and we were all able to collaborate and make these really cool um, interdisciplinary talks and it was really interesting getting to meet people like Catherine and others who just have a completely different angle um, on studying these compounds and other interesting aspects of psychology and having us all collaborate. Um, so that's why I started the, the Psychedelics project initially. 
and it's great to have our grad student winner here to explain more about their research. Um, so Catherine, if you want to explain a little bit more about your particular study and what inspired it um, in some more depth, that would be great. Sure, yeah, so I'll give you kind of the short, um, the short introduction to what I did. So this question of how do you define people's behavior as either pathological or non-pathological is a really basic question in psychiatry in general. And um, generally, we talk about it in terms of functionality. Like if the behavior is functional, then, and it's not giving anyone problems, then, you know, why would we pathologize it? Um, but, um, you know, I was interested in this particular question of psychosis. Um, so by psychosis here, you know, for, for listeners who may be first-time listeners, I'll just define it and say psychosis is definitely, is, is usually defined as either hallucinations uh, or delusions. So it's some kind of altered experience of reality in which you're either seeing and hearing things that aren't actually there, or you have some kind of false belief which is not shared by those around you. And so this experience of psychosis, I was interested in what makes psychosis different from other kinds of altered experiences of reality that people can have. And in particular, I, um, I thought it was interesting to compare it to spiritual experiences. So there are so many different kinds of spiritual experiences that different groups of people have. Many different religious groups encourage spiritual experiences, and people who are not religious also seek out spiritual experiences. And um, as part of spiritual experiences, you can also have altered, altered perceptions of reality. You may hear things that other people don't hear. You may see things that other people don't see, and you may come to have beliefs or you may come to have like really profound um sorts of emotional experiences or you may you may come away with like really strongly held beliefs and ideas that other people don't necessarily share but you may be absolutely sure of them because of your spiritual experience so i was interested in this question of well what makes that different from this pathologized sort of state that we call psychosis and i thought a really interesting way to study it would be to track down people in the world who say that they have had both. So I was looking for people largely from religious backgrounds or from strong spiritual practice kinds of backgrounds who had spiritual experiences that they really treasured and that were important to them, but who also had experience with mental illness and particularly with psychosis. And the people who I found for my study were all people who said, I had psychosis and I've had spiritual experiences and they were two separate things and I can tell you why they were two separate things. Uh, so um, I decided finding these types of people would be a really unique way to get a window into what exactly makes these two experiences different from the viewpoint of the experiencer. So that's kind of the, the summary. Thank you. So was this... Was this a, it's a like survey study, right? Or is, uh, how did you go about studying this? So it, it consisted of interviews and surveys. I did long semi-structured interviews. So with every person who I found for the study, we spent about four hours together, um, doing interviews. Um, sometimes we do it all in one sitting, sometimes stretched out over weeks. 
And then I would have them also fill out a very long survey. And the survey was a composite of several validated survey tools that have been used previously. Um, one called the Hood Mysticism Scale, which assesses the degree of mysticism within a particular experience. I can talk more about what mysticism is if you like. Um, and then a survey called the Phenomenology of Consciousness Inventory, which is this long survey which is designed to compare two different states of consciousness with each other. And it compares them along many different factors of consciousness. So for example, one factor of consciousness is rationality. How rational were you during this state? Um, another would be memory. How much do you remember from what happened? Another might be imagery. Like, were you seeing the world around you clearly? So just many, many different factors to sort of examine the, two, the details of these two states next to each other. You had a list of, it looks like it's six different uh, schemas. Mm -hmm. um, do you think you could talk about what those are? Yeah, so um, one thing that I found after doing the interviews was that um, people, I would always ask them, how do you differentiate between your two different states, between psychosis and spiritual experience? And it was always an open-ended question in interviews, but the answers that people would give me did tend to overlap with each other in some ways. And so, yeah, from the people who I talked to, I kind of pulled out these six themes as themes that came up again and again. Um, so I can tell you the most common theme, which I heard about half of the time in about half of the people who I interviewed, is they would really talk about the emotional valence of an experience. So. This is an interesting one because in the U.S., where I did most of my interviews, we tend to um, have very negative connotations associated with the word psychosis. Um, and sure enough, in people's interviews, they would say, you know, at the end of the day, if I had an experience which was terrifying, depressing, scary, which made me feel like I was in danger, um, that one, I'll call that psychosis. But if I had some other experience, which was equally unusual, but it made me feel happy and loved and peaceful, and um, I'll, I'll call that one a spiritual experience. So at the end of the day, this just like good and bad emotional sort of thermometer was something that people used a lot to differentiate between their experiences. Um, but you know, that only showed up in about half of my participants. So for the other half, the whole emotional question might have been quite a bit more confusing. Mm -hmm. um, so some of the other schemas that were common that people mentioned, um, one was, I, I call it kind of the reality testing method. So people kind of associate their spiritual experiences as being more connected to the true reality, whereas psychosis is not connected to the true reality for many people. So in your spiritual experience, although you may be hearing a voice that other people don't hear, or you know you may be having an experience that, that other people don't share, you still feel like that experience should ultimately lead you to good positive outcomes, which make sense within your reality, and they might be validated by other people. So an example of this is if you hear a voice telling you to like, go to the downtown train station at noon today and something important is gonna happen for you. And you go 
and sure enough, something really important happens at noon today in the train station, then you're likely to look back and say, hmm, I think that voice was actually the voice of God or the voice of a spiritual guide. Whereas if you go to the train station and nothing at all happens, then people might look back and say, oh, that might be one of my schizophrenia voices that told me to do that. You know, it's not actually working out in reality. So those are just some examples of methods that people use, um, little tests that people do for themselves. So I actually have some questions about um, some of these different schemas that you've outlined. Okay. Um, so... So one thing I was curious about is, do you think that people's delusions um, are consistent with their beliefs um, during the episode, but not after? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, so during, during a psychotic episode, people's delusions are very firmly held beliefs. So during psychosis, your reality is, is a certain way. And then after the psychotic episode is over, your beliefs may return to normal. And so, yeah, um, I think, you know, someone's beliefs during a psychotic episode are basically usually synonymous with their delusions. Um, that there can be special cases, and this is the case for some of the people who I interviewed, um, that they may have delusions during their psychotic episode, but there's a part of them which is skeptical. So some people may feel a little bit conflicted inside themselves. Like, on the one hand, I know this is true, but on the other hand, is it actually? And so, you know, I think that's actually less common, but um, several of the people who I interviewed for this study actually talked about this kind of self-checking that would happen even during their psychosis. So, you know, in the psychiatry world, we call this having insight. It means, you know, your mind is creating false stories for you, but you can kind of realize what's going on. At some level, you know that your mind is giving you false stories, so you can kind of fight back a little bit. Um, so, yeah, that, that whole process is called having insight. I wonder if um, so when I was thinking about that, it seems like, um, people almost definitely discourage people from holding beliefs that are, um, considered psychotic, but they probably might actually encourage spiritual beliefs. So I wonder if like that might be a factor there where like, um, we're basically telling people that we think are psychotic to just stop, you know, and then uh -huh. people who are spiritual, we might actually like, like kind of, uh, encourage them. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation. And it's, I think that's worth studying. I, my whole project design was really this individual psychological kind of study. Um, but it's interesting. It would be interesting to say, what, to, what did the people around you say as all this was going on for you? Um, that, that whole cause and effect of like, oh, I was encouraged to believe this way and I got social reinforcement for believing this way. And then that in turn maybe is leading to more functional outcomes associated with these types of spiritual beliefs. So it would be an interesting thing to look at. So another thing I was kind of curious about with um, 
this idea about um, so with the uh, the it looks like you've uh, called it the orthodox schema. Um, mm -hmm. So it mentions that spiritual experiences may often be consistent with spiritual beliefs and values, and then for psychosis, though, it may lack a deeper meaning or is inconsistent with beliefs. And um, mm -hmm. something about this that I was kind of wondering is, so some people might be delusional about something that's completely not spiritual. So like maybe they think they've been poisoned and um, mm -hmm. we wouldn't be able to describe that as spiritual, but it seems like that's a different thing than if they had something like something that seems spiritual, but they consider it psychotic because it's not what they believe in, kind of. So uh, right. what do you think about that? Yeah, so, you know, I, I named this method the orthodox method, which has this kind of religious connotation, but you can think of it more broadly in a way um, where, you know, well, okay, so let me, let me just explain it this way. A, a lot of religious traditions and a lot of spiritual practices will have kind of security measures built in where they will have kind of rules about what it means to have a spiritual experience or what it means to, to learn information and to know that it's true. Or a lot of religious groups might, might give you rules for how you can know the truth or how you can know that your beliefs are on track. And so with this example you gave, for example, um, believing that you're going to be poisoned, you could look back later and say, well, why did I think that? Why did I think that I was going to get poisoned? And, you know, it's maybe I heard a voice in my head that was telling me I was going to be poisoned. But if I go to my priest and say, you know, I heard this voice in my head telling me I was going to be poisoned, the priest might tell you something like, oh, well, in a true spiritual experience, there wouldn't be an unidentified voice in your head just whispering constantly that you're going to be poisoned. The, the voice would always identify itself and say, you know, I am an angel speaking to you. And then you'd look back and say, oh, well, yeah, my voice didn't identify itself. So I guess that wasn't a true spiritual experience. So I'm just making this up here, right? Like, um, I don't know if that's a rule mm, somewhere yeah. that, you know, a true spiritual voice will always identify itself. But that's kind of what the orthodox method is referring to is like, when you're asking yourself this question about like, what was the true spiritual experience here versus what was my mind making up? Um, you'll look, people in the orthodox method will look to their religion or look to scriptures or look to a spiritual authority to kind of give them the answer about which one was the true spiritual experience and which one was not, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. So I, did you know that the, so the definition in the DSM-5 for delusion, it actually seems to disclude or uh, uninclude. I don't, I don't know if disinclude is actually a word, but um, it doesn't include religious um, beliefs. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of interesting because mm -hmm. I think to do that, um, like, like the idea of delusion that I think most people would have is that someone believes something that people consider is like wrong or something like that. But I think if mm -hmm. we were to just say that 
like if we were to say that any belief that isn't based on like say science or something like that if we just said that then it, it would basically just be almost everybody in the world right like not necessarily yeah. everybody but it would be too many people mm, and we wouldn't mm. be able to call them delusional at that point so um but it's yeah. so then the main criterion for kind of distinguishing what's delusional or not isn't necessarily um this whether someone's belief is like in alignment with like science or whatever it might be but instead it is like do you conform to the consensus in a way at least that's how I'm kind of seeing it but I'm curious what are your thoughts on this since it kind of ties into uh, religion and uh, kind of psychosis and all that yeah absolutely I mean you may be familiar with the term consensus reality which is kind of the term that we use here so when you are trying to determine if your patient is delusional or not, you're checking to see if the patient's beliefs are in line with the consensus reality. So yeah, maybe the patient is part of a group that has all kinds of beliefs that may not be grounded in science. And maybe these are not even mainstream beliefs, right? But as long as the patient is part of a group where other people share these beliefs, then we wouldn't call them delusional in a psychiatric sense. We'd say, no, that's their belief system. And um, I think this, this all gets back to kind of this foundational principle, which I mentioned earlier, in, which is in the world of psychiatry, we're often really concerned with functionality. So as long as you're part of the consensus reality, as long as your beliefs are consistent with the consensus reality, it means you're probably going to be functional, at least within the group that you're a part of, um, because your beliefs are in line with the, with the others around you. It's when you have a solo person who has beliefs that are shared by them and only them alone, then these beliefs are more likely to not work out very well for them because they're going to be like operating according to this like solo drum beat where no one else is marching along with them at the same time. And so that's when you're more likely to run into dysfunction. So I, I think, you know, the question you're asking though is like interesting in a philosophical sense in terms of why do we call certain things disease and certain things not disease and and at the end of the day it comes down to like are you in line with your fellow human beings or not like are you yeah. are you close enough aligned hey so yeah. Haley, you should um uh, i saw you in the chat so sorry if i was dominating that <laughs> there <laughs> so one thing I'm thinking about is people have all these different systems for distinguishing their psychotic experiences from their spiritual experiences. But obviously there must be some overlap, otherwise there wouldn't need to be such a systematic way to distinguish them. Could you talk a little bit about how these experiences seem to overlap for people? Yeah, for sure. So. Yeah, that's a good point, Haley. There are tons of ways that they overlap, which is why this is even a, a, a topic at all. So, um, you know, I made this word cloud um, a while ago where I uploaded some of my interviews that were talking about psychosis, and I uploaded some of my interviews that were talking about spiritual experiences. And one of the most commonly said words in both of those different transcripts was the word voices. So the experience of hearing voices is this really central, ubiquitous experience, which is a huge part of psychosis, and it's also a huge part of spiritual experiences. Um, 
many, many religious people talk about praying and hearing the voice of God that might literally speak to them in return, or maybe like the voice of spirits or angels or the, the spirit of God, or, um, you know, it could be anything. And then lots of people with psychosis hear voices. It's super common. Um, but I think, you know, more generally, um, lots of, lots of spiritual practices encourage a kind of, um, emotional transcendence and an emotional heightening and kind of an emotional intensity and all of that, like transformative, like transforming your heart, like learning to see the world through new eyes and also like acting on faith, right? Like believing that miracles may happen for you, believing you can do things that are impossible. Like these are really linked to a lot of like deeply seated sentiments within religion and spirituality. And these same sentiments can be very present in psychosis. Um, and particularly, you know, a lot of the people who I interview um, were diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And a lot of these same emotions are a huge part of um, the manic state, the mania part of bipolar, where people start to feel like they can do anything and they're on top of the world. And like, um, you might start to see yourself in an elevated way. And so there's just a huge emotional overlap there too between the two states. Um, I can go into more detail if you want, but that's that's where there's a lot of room for confusion. Your, your definition of spiritual experience and just like the emphasis on how voice hearing is a huge part of that for a lot of people or at least your population is, I think in a lot of ways very distinct from or at least somewhat distinct from what psychedelic researchers seem to be focusing on with mystical experiences. Uh -huh. um, so how would you kind of distinguish a mystical versus a spiritual experience? Um, do you think that people having these psychotic spiritual, psychotic or spiritual experiences, were they ever having a mystical experience? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think spiritual experience is a much broader category than mystical experience. So people who focus on studying mysticism, they're really studying something very specific. And, um, you know, as part of my research, I did examine how mystical are these experiences. And I did it by using this mysticism scale, which I had everybody fill out. Um, and in general, most people I interviewed were not having really mystical experiences. So for, so for people who are unfamiliar with mysticism, who may be listening, mysticism um, or a mystical experience, the way we're defining it here, it refers to an experience that maybe um, involves a loss of personal identity, um, a loss of your own ego. It can involve a feeling of merging with the world around you, merging with the people around you. It can involve a feeling of really transcendent love and peace. Um, and also often this feeling of being in tune with a great hidden truth that normally you aren't able to comprehend, but you're able to comprehend it during a mystical experience. Um, so, you know, some of the people who I interviewed have had mystical experiences, um, but other people hadn't. And they're, you know, the way I define spiritual experience, it was really broad. It was any experience of reality which is different from normal and which occurs within the context of spiritual or religious practice. And so for some people, that's a mystical kind of experience. For other people, 
that might be, you know, kind of a magical thing happened to you. Um, or for some people, it might be you heard a voice out of nowhere, but it doesn't necessarily have any kind of emotional transformation that happened along with it. Um, so just really broad set of spiritual experiences that I was studying. And yeah, Haley, as you mentioned, like the psychedelic experience tends to be quite mystical. Um, so I'd say that's the kind of experience that you can have through psychedelics is one specific type of thing, but the whole world of spiritual practices is quite a bit broader, I would say. Do you think the... Sorry. What did you say? One, one thing that has been like, at least a big comparison point in the past is that the psychedelic state is somewhat like the psychotic state. How would you see that overlap? Um, I know you didn't study that specifically, but maybe you have some familiarity just vaguely. Yeah, so, um, yeah, the psychedelic state, you know, the, I think the, the way that I can best comment on this is by looking at the people I interviewed who were having mystical experiences and comparing those with their psychosis experiences. Um, and there were many, many differences. So um, here I can pull up my um, results from the phenomenology of consciousness inventory here. The, the, the phenomenology of consciousness inventory that we used measured 26 different aspects of the conscious state. And, um, and they, there were just huge differences in all these factors between psychosis and between spiritual experiences. And when I particularly think about the people who are describing mystical type experiences. Um, the big differences I'd say, number one would be the quality of rationality. Um, that was a big one. So when you're having um, a mystical kind of experience, you may have the sensation of loss of ego and kind of merging with the world around you, but there's still a sense of immense clarity and kind of logic that's there. You may not be thinking with your regular brain, but things make a lot of sense. There's a sense of seeing the world clearly. Um, whereas psychosis tends to be the opposite. People tend to feel very confused, very muddled, particularly after it's over. And they're asked to make sense of it. They're like, honestly, like, I can't make sense out of that. It's not really any story at all. Um, um, another big one is, you know, I mentioned this before, but like, emotional state. So people tend to associate extremely positive emotions with mystical experiences and extremely negative emotions with psychosis in general. That's not always the case, but that, that seems to be the general trend. Um, something else that I found, sorry, I'm still pulling up my list here because I have so many different things. Um, but, uh, oh, one thing that I found was absorption tended to be really different. So when I talk about absorption, this is the quality of being completely immersed and completely focused in the experience that you're having. So during mystical experiences, people tend to be extremely focused, very absorbed. All their attention is on what's happening to them. Um, whereas in psychosis, once again, tends to be the opposite. You tend to feel very scattered. Um, you may be feeling really intense things and having a lot of intense thoughts, but your attention tends to be pulled in a million different directions at the same time. Um, and you tend to feel like much less immersed in, you, in your experience. Um, so those are some highlights, I'd say. Um, I, can, I can talk about more if you want me to, but 
you know, as I said, there are like 20 different criteria here. So not sure if you want me to keep going. <laughs> so it really seems like the emotional balance is a very key factor as well as just being able to, to make sense of the experience in some way and to, to people when they're having a mystical experience, they're absorbed. Um, yeah. But not so much in psychosis. So that's all that's very interesting. I'm wondering, do people ever kind of, they have a psychotic experience, but then maybe they have subsequent spiritual experiences or mystical experiences, and that somehow helps them like cope with the psychosis or get on kind of a different trajectory than, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. I, I did hear that a little bit in some of my interviews. Um, some people talked about how, you know, they didn't truly understand their psychosis and they weren't really able to make sense of it until, first of all, it was over. <laughs> you know, the psychosis is over. And then they'll have some kind of beautiful spiritual experience or mystical experience, maybe even years later, that will help them to come to peace with what happened and to realize, okay, now I can understand why that was part of my story and I don't feel betrayed by it anymore. I don't feel traumatized by it anymore. So yeah, for sure, spiritual experiences can be really healing. Um, I, I also saw other kinds of like cause, this is kind of a reverse cause and effect where like someone may have psychosis and that may lead them to seek to, it may open the door of spirituality for them. So like the psychosis in itself may be kind of a challenging experience, but it can open someone's mind to kind of a spiritual dimension to life that they may not have been aware of before. And then so afterward, they'll kind of seek out their spiritual life because of their psychosis. So I heard both of those things quite a bit in my interviews. Mm, that's So, I mean, I don't know the, the outcomes these people had because like in general psychosis, having like one episode, there are a lot of people who have that experience and they end up being fine afterwards. Um, mm -hmm. But then there are some people who develop really chronic and debilitating schizophrenia afterwards. Were most of um, your participants, were they coping pretty well in general? Um, and maybe using spirituality as a, a method for that? Yeah, um, so I think by nature of my um, criteria for recruitment, I tended to have people who were coping quite well. So um, in order to participate in my study, you had to have had a spiritual experience and a psychosis experience, and you need to be currently not psychotic, and you need to be able to discuss these two types of experiences and really explain why they were two different things for you. And so this, um, you know, this term that I used earlier, insight, my, my project required a high degree of insight. So, you know, most of the people who I interviewed, um, they had had some kind of episodic psychosis where it maybe happened to them once and then it never happened to them again. Or some of, many of the people I interviewed had a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. So in bipolar, it's, it's really episodic. You may have psychosis throughout your life, but the psychosis will, will completely resolve and you'll have a period of normalcy before having psychosis again. Um, and of course, many people with bipolar don't have psychosis at all, but um, 
for those who did, you know, these are the types of people who really qualified for my study because um, they, to be in the study, you have to be in a period where your brain is operating basically normally and you're able to go back and reflect on what was happening to you. Um, so yeah, you know, this was, this is just the nature of my study that I tended to talk to people who were doing very well and who were able to really like look back at their psychosis as something that had happened to them, but was not currently happening. Thank you. Wow. That's, it, it's all quite interesting, um, work where, where do you kind of see the direction of the rest of this research going? Where, where do you next want to potentially, or have other people examine the intersection of psychosis and spiritual experiences? Um, so I, yeah, I'm wrapping up this particular project right now. I think there are a lot of follow-up questions to ask. So I kind of started this project just out of my own curiosity and sort of as this psychological question of what, what is the difference between these two types of experiences. But I think there's so much you could ask to kind of follow it up and apply it in, in ways. So I think one thing is to really parse out what are all these different kinds of spiritual experiences that, are talk, that people are talking about and what does each of them mean in terms of what is actually going on with your brain while this is happening? And um, what is this actually doing to you? What is it doing to your life? What kinds of outcomes do you have afterward? And you could ask those kinds of questions for like 10 different kinds of spiritual experiences, which, you know, my project was really kind of diverse in terms of the type of spirituality that I was looking at. But, um, you know, I think you could do a whole study just on any one of these types of spiritual practices. For example, um, one type of spirituality that I encountered during my study was um, the idea of some people who identify as sensitives, uh, meaning that they can see spirits. Um, and these are usually people who've, who've seen spirits their whole lives or seen ghosts, you could say. And I think it'd be interesting to do a whole study just around people who identify as sensitive. And what does that tend to mean for them psychologically? How does it feel to be able to see ghosts? Um, do these people, um, when do these people have psychiatric um, comorbidities and how does that interact with, with seeing ghosts? Um, do they interact at all or is it totally different kinds of experiences? So I think you could do a whole, a whole separate sort of deep dive into any one of these types of spirituality. Wow, it sounds like quite, quite the extensive catalog to kind of develop a potential experiences. Um, mm -hmm. As psychedelics was kind of a competition, a talk competition related to psychedelics, how do you see this work maybe intersecting with that, the whole psychedelic field in the future? Yeah, so, so for me, being a medical student, um, we're always concerned primarily with like, how is this helping our patients to get better, right? Like that's the number one question we're always asking. So I learned about psychedelics previously um, as being you know, one of these great new tools that we have really great emerging data for um, showing how psychedelics can really improve mental health, uh, mental health outcomes in so many ways. And, um, you know, it's just this exciting new part of psychiatry, which, um, which is undoubtedly going to become more and more utilized. And so how does this intersect with my research? I think, um, 
I really see psychedelics and the, the experience of using them as, as I said, one of these subcategories of spiritual experience. And so I think there's a lot of work going on in the psychedelics world right now. Um, and there has been so much work done previously into mysticism in general and what those types of experiences mean. I think um, the niche for me perhaps would be in this more comparative sense, like how does the experience of taking psychedelics compare with all these other different kinds of spirituality, um, the ones that may be a little bit less studied. And um, psychologically, it, it may be helpful for us to think, you know, if psychedelics are so helpful psychologically, how, how do those helpful psychological effects compare with the effects you might get from other types of spirituality, other types of practices and experiences that people are seeking out? And the more that we study all of these things in a comparative sense, I think the better we'll understand each of them. I'm curious, do you think that, um, so I was thinking about this, uh, like spirituality versus um, psychosis and like what might be more common. I'm guessing it's probably spiritual experiences because, um, well, I was, well, it seems like just that must be what it is, I'm guessing. But also at the same time, it also seems that uh, maybe if because they're desirable, like that means probably people want to have them, right? So maybe they're just common or because of uh, wanting them or something. But do you know, do you think spiritual experiences are common? Do you know anything about that? Interesting question. And I can't really say, I mean, I think what I would tell you is both of these things are more common than you think. So psychosis, first of all, about 1% of the population has schizophrenia. So that's, that's more common than most people think. And schizophrenia is, is far from being the only type of psychotic illness out there. So, um, and then like lots of people will hear voices as part of um, like a mental illness experience. And it's just really common. People don't talk about it because there's a stigma associated with hearing voices. And so, you know, I think psychosis is, is a super common experience, but then yeah, spiritual experiences are probably more common generally. And I think it depends on which part of the world you're looking at or which part of the U S. Um, and just, you know, depending on where you are, it could be really mainstream to, seek out spiritual experiences or many people are born into a religion where it's kind of expected that you're going to have spiritual experiences and there's something wrong with you if you're not having them. So yeah, I, I think I'd agree with you. It's definitely a much more sought after experience. I think it, I think it really depends on exactly where you're living and what, what subcultures you're a part of. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. Haley, do you have more questions? I think that covers it. Um, maybe we can open it up and see if anybody in, in the audience has any interesting questions. Are you up for it? Oh, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the way that we can do this is we will kind of jump over into the discussion section that's uh, right above the podcast channel. And uh, then basically it'll allow everyone else to talk. And uh, before we do that, I'll say, I'll kind of like do an outro, I guess. Uh, thank you 
so much for uh, coming on, and uh, this was really interesting. And so, um... Oh, well, thank you so much. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. This is um, such a cool podcast, and I, I really appreciate being here, so thank you. I did good, so, um... Yeah, I'm not an outro, for what it's worth. Um, but, um... Okay, so let's go to the discussion, and for all of you people out there who ever wants to ask questions, you can do that.